Hi, everyone, and welcome to my home. We're so glad that you've joined us today and want you to feel like you've pulled up a chair at my family's table. This week, Steph and I had the chance to sit down and have a Passover meal or what's known as a Seder meal. The word Seder just means order, and it's the the order of service for demonstrating or or showing a, a people the story of the Exodus and the story of the Passover. This is found in Exodus chapter 12. And and here's my beginning uh, uh, apology. I'm I'm not a Jew, I am a Gentile, but for centuries, uh, the people of God, both Jews and Jesus-loving Christians have been practicing the Passover. This is actually spoken or commanded in Exodus chapter 12. So I'm not gonna do it perfect. And actually, there's many different ways that the Passover meal is performed, but I'm really doing it as an act of worship. And we did it as a family to bind us together, commemorating the amazing things God has done. And I think what you're gonna find is there's a very poignant message for us in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis. So just jump in wholeheartedly with me. I think you're going to love it. Today, my title is Unlocking the Power of the Passover. Unlocking the Power of the Passover. And we're going to talk about the power for the past, the power of the present, and the power of the future. Well, we begin in Exodus chapter 12, talking about this Passover meal. It's actually when the children of Israel were in slavery to the Egyptians. And God started sending these plagues on the Egyptians, demonstrating his power to set his people free. And there's this meal that they were actually commanded to take a feast that they were supposed to celebrate. It says this in verse 11 of chapter 12, eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate the festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Well, let me begin by talking about the power of the past. You know, I I think about the past for me. I grew up in a multi-generational family. We would pack up our family vehicle and we would drive to another city to go to my great-grandmother's house. And there we would have a wonderful celebration. It would be a massive table with a traditional meal. And there my great-grandmother would be sitting at the head. And then my grandparents and their siblings and spouses. Then my aunts and uncles, my parents, my siblings, and tons of cousins. And we would have the same meal that my family had been having for generations. And then I'd go out in the yard and have a blast with my cousins playing the same games that my parents had played in that yard when they were kids. You know, there's something about being tied to a multi-generational family that anchors you. Like, for example, for me, uh, I'm a leader. I, I lead a church. But I... I grew up in many ways just knowing that's what my family does. My great-grandfather was a leader in our city. My grandfather was a leader. My granddad was a leader. My 
dad was a leader, and you start understanding your family narrative. You might not be connected to uh, your extended family or multi-generations of your family, but can I tell you, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were adopted to the most famous family that's ever lived on earth, the, the family of Abraham, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You or as the Bible says, grafted in a wild olive branch into the olive tree of the Hebrew family. Let's jump in more to their story. It said, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, these are our original leaders of our family. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Listen to this. The animals you choose must be your old males without defect. Let, let me just take a pause for a moment. As we do this Passover meal, you've got to understand that it's always pointing to Jesus. Every feast in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. And in fact, Jesus perfectly fulfills the feast. So it says, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. That same night, they're to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If someone's left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked in to your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, and I will... Bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike to Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. Think about it. That's us. Generations, thousands of years later. That's us. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but you've stepped into a family that has amazing traditions. And these traditions are packed with meaning. And that's what we're going to do today as we take the Passover meal together. And I want you to watch for the powerful symbolism of what Jesus did for us when he gave his life. We begin the Passover feast with a candle. The, the woman of the house comes and lights the candle. And we immediately see the symbolism that God is always looking for a people or a family or a person who will carry his light into a dark world. Then we move to the cups of wine. There's four cups of wine in a Passover meal, and they symbolize the four things that God did for the people of Israel in the Passover. It comes out of Exodus 6. It says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will, number one, bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Number two, I will free you or deliver you from slavery. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And number four, I will take you as my own people. 
So the Passover, the first element that we take in the Seder meal is the glass of wine. We take and drink of that. It's the cup, the cup here of sanctification. It's setting the night out or the time when you take the meal as holy. Then the next thing we do is, is quite interesting. You take the carpus. It's also known as an appetizer. And in our case, it's partially, it symbolized the hyssop that was used to put the blood upon the doorpost. But what we do, instead of dipping it in the blood to begin the meal, is we dip it in salt water. And if you taste this, it's really bitter. And it's to remind us of the tears that the people of Israel were crying out to God in slavery. It reminds us as believers that we all were trapped in sin. We were slaves to sin before Jesus came to redeem us. Now let's keep reading. For seven days you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. And on the first day, hold a sacred assembly. And on another one from the seventh day, do not work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is, this is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreign or native born, who eats anything with yeast, and it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. So we look at the matzah is what it's called. And what is this? This is unleavened bread. You see how it's flat? It's because there's no yeast to make it rise. Now, what is yeast? The, the yeast actually symbolized sin. And it reminds us that, that this, this bread, our lives, are to be without sin. But here's the interesting thing. The first thing they do is they, they open up this matzah covering, and there's actually three compartments. One, two, three. I asked my children without them even knowing, what does this stand for? And I said, what's the most important three on the earth? They said, oh, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what the people would do is they would take the middle one. This was the first thing you were supposed to do was to take the middle one. How interesting, the Father, the Son, and they'd break it. Now, I'm sure you can see the symbolism in that. But the symbolism for the ancient people of Israel was to show that the Red Sea was parted and the Israelites were able to walk right through there. Now, the next thing they did was amazing because they put the smaller piece back into the matzah holder, but then they took a linen piece of napkin and they put this bread and they wrapped it in this linen and they actually then would hide this for later. And you'll see what we do in the end. It's one of the most powerful parts of this whole feast is they would hide it. Now, this time they'd read the story of what was happening to the children of Israel. And then they would come to the second glass of wine. The second glass of wine was the 
the wine of the plagues, the cup of the plagues. And they remembered these 10 different plagues that would happen. Now, here was the interesting way that they would participate in it, is they would say that although it was so wonderful to see God's deliverance, their heart was also broken as it brought judgment and pain upon the world. So that each plague, they would say the plague, they would say blood, the first plague of blood, and they would dip their finger in and then throw down a drop of wine. And they would say frogs and throw down a, a, a drop of wine. Gnats, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and slaying of the firstborn son. You know, as we reflect upon the past, this COVID crisis and this plague that's upon the earth, it's not the first time a plague has affected the people of God. It's fascinating. We've been talking about how oftentimes in the midst of plagues, the people of God have actually shown the brightest and have responded with selflessness and fearlessness. I think back to the time of Rome, it was actually in a time of plague hitting the Roman Empire where Christians showed that they actually had a whole nother reason for living and they were giving themselves and while everyone else was fleeing, they were the ones running and serving people. I think about the time of Martin Luther in the Reformation where he actually gave instructions for Christians on how to go and save people and, and, and care for them in the midst of the Black Plague. And even in our country, in the United States, I was reading of a theologian, Ed Stetzer, who wrote in, 19, and in excuse me, 1793 in Philadelphia, thousands of citizens were fleeing from the yellow fever epidemic. And yet the, the Black church was going in the midst of racism against them, and they were serving and loving, and thus Christianity was spreading in a mighty way way in our country. You see, the people have, of God have always been able to stand fearless in times of epidemics and times of plagues because they know that this earth is not their only home. They have a hope to which they're called, and they know that he who is with us is greater than he that's in the world. Well, I want to move to the power of the Passover for the present. It says, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood in the basin and put some on the blood on the top and on the both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and he'll pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Oh, that's a good word. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down to worship. We come to the next part of the Passover Seder. It's the lamb shank bone. The, the lamb for the people of Israel symbolized the temple sacrifice. The pure and spotless lamb that was taken and, and slaughtered by each family and then the door 
was covered with the blood of the lamb. For us, we know that that lamb is Jesus. When Jesus came on the scene in the New Testament, John the Baptist pointed out and said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're reminded that it's Jesus's blood that cleanses us from unrighteousness. It's not our good works. He gave his life a pure and spotless lamb. He was the only one who never sinned. We all have sinned. The Bible says that each of us, like sheep, have gone astray each to his own way. But the Lord laid upon him, the sacrificial lamb, the iniquity of us all. Then this is the time where we actually take the matzah bread and we break it. Now, here's the amazing thing about this bread. I don't know how well you can see it, but matzah has holes all in it. You see, Jesus talked about a bread and he said that I am the bread of life. But if you'd also look at these holes, it symbolizes the way he was pierced for our transgressions. And then as you look, Matzah, as it's cooked, becomes naturally striped. And it says that that by his stripes, we are healed. I mean, the, the symbolism is absolutely staggering in this. And so we break the matzah and then we eat of it. And we don't just eat of the matzah. We, we eat of what's called the marar, which is a bitter herb, as we're reminded of the suffering the people of God went through. And we're reminded that in this world, Jesus said, we will have trouble. So we we eat of the bread with the bitter herbs. And then we also eat of the bread with what's called the charoset. It's a Hebrew word meaning clay. And we're reminded that the people of Israel were in slavery and that we've all been set free from slavery. And so we partake of that next You know, we think about what the Passover means for our present life. It means that by Jesus's broken body, that we are are set free, that there's comfort in our hard times and we're no longer slaves to sin. But I I was thinking about the power of Passover right now. You know, we've, we've been daily turning on the news to understand our times. Like we've been learning more and more about COVID-19 and and then we turn on the news to understand, okay, what are we supposed to do? Now we're supposed to shelter in place. Now we're supposed to stay at home. Now we're supposed to social distance. You know, it's important to understand the times. Here's something so powerful is that there are actually prophetic voices in the body of Christ that God was already speaking to that something like this was going to happen. One of the prophetic voices that, that, We have uh, cherished some of the words he shared. He shared about a future move of God. Many of the things he's he's prophesied have come true. He prophesied about 9-11 before it happened. But God spoke to him in the beginning of of this last year, the Hebraic year, 57, 80. And he prophesied a a massive plague-like invasion would come and would test us until Passover, that the nations would come into turmoil until that time. His name was Chuck Pierce. And Chuck Pierce actually said it would happen until Passover. So many people are calling the body of Christ and and calling the people of God. Let's be praying at Passover. Here's an amazing thing happening right now. Passover and the Gregorian calendar 
are combining right now. So Passover and Easter are happening at the same time. Both Jews and Christians are, are, are celebrating at the same time. Uh, Cindy Jacobs is another one who the, the, the Lord was showing. And, and here's one of the things they said, the Lord showed me the enemy engineered something to bring fear to the nations and disrupt economies around the world. And this would not be this, the, uh, the last such commotion. This is not the first time we've seen a deadly virus and it won't be the last. As a matter of a fact, we will see more of this as time goes on. That's what Chuck Pierce said. And Cindy Jacobs also said that I had a word about a massive plague-like invasion. You see, Amos 3.7 says this, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Uh, here's my point. This COVID-19 virus did not take God by surprise. And what we as the people of God want to know is God is still in control. He's not freaking out. And what we want to do is partner with him and pray as the nations are shaking that there would be a great turning to God in the midst of it. You know, the, the purpose of the Passover was for God to demonstrate his protection over his people. And it was a time for them to understand that he was in control. And there was also a, a, a judgment coming upon Egypt. And when there's a shaking, we as the people of God always want to respond with repentance. You know, because our nation uh, and, and we in the world can just be like Egypt. I, I think about it was a land full of idols and, and we might not have the same big stone idols, but man, we can idolize celebrities and idolize money and idolize comfort. We need to be repenting of idols in this time. Egypt was a land of dark powers. And what we've seen is a drifting in America to, to more and, and more uh, dark spirituality, zombies and vampires and, 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 and weird, dark, spiritual infatuation. Uh, Egypt was infatuated with money and, and gold and, and opulence. And we've become more and more that in America. And in Egypt, was a land of sensuality. And, and our country has, has almost become worshipful of any type of sexuality and sensuality we want. It's time, people of God, to repent and to turn back to Jesus. You know, lastly, the Passover has power for the future. I love it, what Revelation 5, 6 through 9 talks about the sacrifice of the lamb. It says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You know, Jesus was the Passover lamb that was slain. He is in control. And in fact, he is the one with authority to set in motion the end, the end times. So let me just be prophetic for a moment. Let me be biblically 
prophetic for a few moments because I'm, I'm hearing all these people asking, is this the end times? Is this the end time judgments? And this is what I believe and, and what I'm actually hearing most Christian leaders and speakers, pastors that I respect saying, I believe this is the beginning of the beginning of the end times. I mean, we know we're in the end times, right? Peter stood up and said on the day of Pentecost, in the last days, as Joel said, and he started talking about what was happening. So we know we're in the last days, but I believe that we're actually in the beginning of the beginning of, of the actual unfolding. There's three main indicators of the, the end of the last days. It'll be the restoration of Israel, the ingathering of the nations, and then signs on earth and heaven above. You know, here's how we know that things are coming to an end. First of all, the restoration of Israel. Jesus pointed to the fig tree and it had been cursed when it hadn't borne fruit. But he said, when the leaves come back out, that's when you know that the end is coming. And in, in this generation, in 1948, Israel became a nation in a day. In 1967, Jerusalem belonged to the Jews again. And in 2018, this was absolutely amazing, just two years ago, Jerusalem was actually uh, affirmed as the capital. Israel had ha been the only country without the ability to affirm its own capital. And we just moved our embassy as the United States there. Even beyond that, there is the largest coming to Jesus of, of Jewish people in history. It's so exciting. And we know that Israel is God's time clock for the end times. So now, secondly, the end gathering of the nations, Matthew 24, 14. This is our marching orders as a church, as all people's church. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I've told you many times that I was at a conference just two years ago where it was declared that the last people group on earth is now known. Like we know where every single unreached people group is and has just been adopted by a, a church or missions organization. Now, listen to me, it doesn't mean they've been reached yet. We haven't gotten laborers there. We haven't gotten the gospel preached. We haven't gotten the Bible translated. We haven't gotten a church there. But we now know every single people group and everyone's been adopted. What does that mean? It means we're coming, we're in like the last sprint of the relay race. And that's what we're giving our lives to at All People's Church. This is such an exciting time to be alive. Then lastly, Point three, indicator of the end times, signs on earth and in the heavens above. I, I think as Luke 21, 10 and 11, it says, then he added, this is Jesus speaking, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. You know, I think the coronavirus is just one of the precursors to what's going to happen. I think the earthquake, I'm sure you heard about this, that hit Salt Lake City and shook the place. And on the top of the Latter-day Saint Cathedral, the trumpet that was in the hands of, of Moroni, the angel who supposedly gave Joseph Smith the revelation of Latter-day Saints of Mormonism, the trumpet fell out of his hand. I think that's a sign, an earthquake, a sign that the shakings are coming from Matthew 24 and from Luke 21. And I even think about uh, these things that were happening in the sky that people were so excited about, the, the blood moons and all of them, all four of them that were falling on these Jewish holidays. I think that's significant, but I believe 
we're going to see more and more and more. What's the point? Get ready. We could very well be the generation that sees Jesus return, but we know it won't happen until the gospel is preached into all nations. That's our job. We need to pray for it. We need to believe for it. And we need to get busy doing that. So here's how we finish the Passover Seder. They take an egg. What in the world is an egg doing in this? I love what one rabbi said. An egg is like the Jewish people. The more it gets cooked, the more it gets burned, the harder it gets, the tougher it gets. You know, I, I want us to remember and be carrying the Jewish people like never before in our heart. And one way to do it is every time you eat an egg, remember the Jewish people, what they've gone through and how challenging their lot has been. We stand with the people of Israel. And so then we move and, and, and you have the youngest child goes at the end of the feast and they go and look for that bread that was hidden and they take it and in the, the linen cloth, you know, Jesus's body was wrapped in a linen cloth. That young child pulls out that hidden piece of matzah. It's called the afikoman. It's, it's the dessert feast and you break it. And you take that bread and you pass it around and this is actually what we believe Jesus was doing at the Last Supper. That it was that afikoman he took out of the linen cloth, he broke it, and then he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And they ate that. And then he took the third cup, and the third cup is called the cup of redemption. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. You know, Jesus was perfectly fulfilling the Passover when he took the bread and he took the wine and then he redefined it and said, this is me. And when you take this, you become one in spirit with me that you can actually be one with the living God through his sacrifice. And then lastly, the fourth cup known as the cup of praise. All we can do for all that Jesus has done, for the power of the past, for the way he's meeting us in our present, and the incredible hope of the future is to take the cup of praise and say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that you're in control. You bought us, you've purchased us, and you brought us into your family. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I encourage you to pray with me right now. You could just pray these simple words right after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn the other direction. Thank you that your body was broken for me. Thank you that your blood was shed for me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and I'll walk with you forever. If you pray that with all your heart, we believe that Jesus has come in to live in your life and that you're born of the Spirit. Thank you so much for joining us today. I encourage you to partake in a Passover meal sometime with family or friends and remember the great gift that God has given you. We love you and are standing with you in this time. Thanks for connecting with us today. And don't forget to check out allpeoples.tv for past messages and resources to help you in your journey with God. God bless you and we'll see you next time.